Welcome to the Earth's Edge podcast. I'm your host, James McManus. At Earth's Edge, we run guided expeditions with a focus on environmental and cultural sustainability. We created this podcast to share stories from people who have found the outdoors and fallen in love with adventure. Each month, we're giving away one of our summit jackets worth 150 euro. To be in the running, all you need to do is subscribe to our mailing list at earths-edge.com forward slash podcast. There's a link in the show notes. Now for today's guest. Last year with the Black Lives Matter movement, that whole thing where people were putting up a black square on social media, blacking out the media for the day. And that was such a performative gesture. There was nothing that was going to change that. What we need to start doing is changing the people around us. That was Babs and Jaro, who worked for Earth's Edge from 2014 to 2018. She tells me about climbing Kilimanjaro, crossing snowy passes on the way to Everest Base Camp, seeing Ladakh for the first time, and visiting Machu Picchu. We also chat about being black and Irish and how that impacted her life. We start out talking about growing up in a small town in the west of Ireland and how she fell in love with the great outdoors. So let's jump in there. So Babs, you grew up in Shannon and County Clare. What was that like? And were you into going on adventures when you were a kid? Yeah, growing up in Shannon was good. It was, it's a town where people come to work really more so than people come to live. Did we go on many adventures when we were young? No, not really, actually, to be honest. Um, we didn't. My dad would be quite outdoorsy now, but in, in the sense of like, you know, he enjoys his gardening. But exploring mountains, exploring nature, that's not something that would have been done in my family, actually. So no, I wouldn't have gone oh. on that many adventures when I was when I was young. I know you you were super into sport. You played a lot of football growing up, yeah? I did. Yeah, I played quite a lot of sport growing up. I was very active in that sense. Enjoyed a lot of sport, but as I said, we never really went on any adventures, so to speak, you know, exploring the outdoors. So it was very much kind of team sports that I would have been involved in. And you were saying that you then went on to college to like study adventure tourism management in Tralee. If you didn't go on adventures with your family growing up, like how did you come to pick that degree? I suppose, you know, your teen years, you're a bit lost. Like you don't really know what you want to do or where you're going. And I suffered quite a lot with my mental health at the time. And it was only, I think it was my fourth year when I was in school. One of my teachers actually took us on a hike. And I remember coming home and thinking, oh my God, I feel so much better after this. I didn't really understand why I felt better after it or what it was, but I knew I wanted to do it again. Fast forward to after doing my leaving search, I moved to Cork. And when I was up in Cork, I had a few friends that were into the outdoors and I started exploring a bit more of the outdoors. You know, I'd come home from Clare and I'd explore a lot more of like, you know, what Clare has to offer. A lot of surfing was done. And I just found a love of the outdoors that I never knew I had. And you know what? It helped me so much with my mental health and I could understand why. So obviously I wanted to continue doing it. So eventually then I went to Cork. I was going to start to be a nurse, but that wasn't my calling. That really wasn't my calling. And I took a year out. And after that year out, I got offered a place in Tralee to do adventure tourism management. And I just knew I wanted to be in the outdoors. You know, I wanted to be an outdoor instructor. That was the main uh, goal in doing that course. That's how I ended up in Tralee, actually. And sure, I was in Kerry and it was just pure heaven uh, with the outdoors. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably the Kerry is probably the best place in the country for outdoors. Yeah, and um, what was the course like? Was it good? Would you recommend it? I would. I'm not sure they're still running the course in its original format, 
But um, I would absolutely 100% recommend it. I found it really good. We had some really good lecturers that came from different backgrounds with with a load of experience. We worked with a lot of providers in Kerry, like, you know, guys in Captain Lee, some of the lads that work for Earth's Edge, like, you know, Reese and Lorcan. And there's so many more that I can't mention that we would have worked with. And actually, that was my first introduction to Aneth Carroll, who is somebody that has had a massive impact on my life and the outdoors. Yeah, so the listeners might know, but Anith is one of our expedition leaders. And like, talk to me about that. Like, what impact does she have on you? The outdoors is a male-oriented uh, industry. There's a lot of men within the industry. And I remember the first time I met Anith, she was doing a course with us on Leave No Trace. And I just, I just thought, wow, this is incredible. Like, never really seen a female instructor before. She was just really incredible. Her stories, her, you know, her journey to get to where she'd become. And I remember coming away from that course going, yeah, this I've definitely made the right choice. I really want to be like her. Um, so as the years went on, I actually didn't meet her for another, I'd say, six years after that when I came to Earth's Edge and she was one of the guides within Earth's Edge. And my very first trip that I went on, which would have been Kilimanjaro, she was the guide on that trip. And I learned so much from her, so much from her, you yeah. know, from I was just inspired by this really powerful female who was so competent in her job and how inspiring she was to everybody that she came in contact with so yeah that was how she's had an impact on me i think the outdoor is like it's it is very male dominated you know even now it is and it's probably i'm not going to show your age now but i was for probably 10 years <laughs> since you went to college like but it's great like there's more and more women getting involved in, in um, expedition leading and stuff like that but clients when they're expecting to meet an expedition leader at the airport on a mountain there your prejudice there is to, to meet a man so i think all of our female guides have to really do it an absolutely awesome job because they just they sometimes get challenged a little bit more and stuff like that so it's it's amazing and they're all fantastic so come here how did you come to about working with those babs so let's talk about that a little bit you came and did customer service and sales with us how was that and how did it come about yeah so i as i've said i finished up in Tralee and I was still quite a bit, I was still a bit lost, really not sure what I was going to do. You know, it was quite hard to try and find a job within the industry. So I decided to move to London for a year. It was eventually, it was going to be a year and see how I got on. So I went to London and I was working within retail. I was working in luxury retail, which was an experience, but I was a complete fish out of water. There's nothing luxury about me. <laughs> So I was a complete some bogger from Claire, like overworking in where were you working in London? I was working in Selfridges and Harrods at the time. Wow. And yeah, uh, yeah. (laughs) I was a complete fish out of water. Like, you know, the environment wasn't me, but it was actually where I realized how good I was at selling. I realized that I could build such a rapport with people. I I actually made some really good friends while I was working in Harrods, you know, Irish customers that used to come over and, you know, I'd go on a trip and I'd help them out with their shopping and stuff like that. And to this day, we still keep in touch. You know, I'd still get a Christmas card. So I noticed that I actually had a knack wow. for this kind of thing. London is a bit of a concrete jungle. It's a concrete jungle. I really loved the outdoors. And again, I found myself struggling with my mental health. So mm. I needed, I needed to see mountains. I needed to see water. I was sick of looking at buildings and I decided that I was coming home and I was coming home to Clare. That was the plan was coming home to Clare, but I decided to just start applying for jobs anywhere. You know, I said, I take a risk. I take, I take a risk and see what happens. So was it a lecturer of mine? I think it was. She sent me a link to 
a job that was being advertised for you guys. Mm. And I decided to apply for it. I actually did not think I'd get the job. <laughs> to be honest, I really didn't think I'd get the job. So I was like, Ashford, well, look, I'll just apply for it and see. And I remembered quite clearly because I was coming home for the Great Limerick run at the time. And you'd said to me, look, I can only do an interview on Monday or Tuesday with that suit. And I was like, great, I'll do the Monday because I'm flying out on the Tuesday. And I said, ah, sure, look, I'll go up to Dublin anyway. So off I went, put on my little high heels to get all the way up to Dublin on the on the train. A heel. Yeah. If I'd known better, I should have put on my runners all the way up to Dublin. So got up to Dublin anyway. And I got in with you guys, still not expecting to get the job whatsoever. Like, you know, and I just thought, sure, look, I'll give it, I'll give it my best and see what happens. And five years later, I was still there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we managed to hold on to you for five years. No, it was great. Yeah, so you did all our like your basically main point of contact for all of our customer service and sales people wanting to chat about trips and all that. So, yeah, it was awesome. And um, while you were with us, Babs, you did like five trips. It's, we send all of our, our, our staff away to do an expedition per year, and your first one was to Killy in 2015. How was that? I loved Killy. Oh gosh, I loved Killy. It was you know going back to the motherland. I was. In my element, I've never prepared so much for anything as I did for Killy. <laughs> you know, mm. I had everything. To be honest, I was actually overly prepared. I packed way too much. I brought way too many potatoes, and I love potatoes, but I brought way too many of them for that trip. <laughs> but I loved Killy. It was great, and it was actually, as I said earlier on, it was the first trip that I went on with Aneth. A whole year, I'd spent so much time talking on the phone about what our trips are and what we do and what the expedition leaders and doctors do. But to actually see it come together was absolutely amazing from my job point of view. It was just brilliant to see all the work that we do in the office actually in action. And I thought, mm. fuck, we're slick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's listen, that's why it's so important that all of the office team go because, you know, it's really important that we stay connected to people's experiences and um, all that. It's actually funny you were saying that you carry too much stuff. I actually... I don't know if you know this, but when I'm doing Killy talks, I still mention you like I have a picture of you <laughs> and I'm like, this is Babs, right? This gobshite, she brought like 10 kilos of stuff <laughs> up to the summit. So if anyone who hasn't been on a big mountain before, you're basically carrying quite a lot of stuff. You know, the porters are, are on Killy, you're carrying the bulk of your gear and you're just taking a day bag. But for summit night, especially because you're going for 15 hours, you want to bring exactly what you need, but not too much in your pack. So you're as light as possible going to summit. And Bab said about three kilos of probably potatoes or something. Did you? You're like totally overloaded. Like yeah. Overly prepared is what I did. And I learned my lesson. It was a lesson learned. And you know what? It's funny that you say it at the talks. I used to say it all the time on the phone when I was talking to somebody yeah. about packing light. Packing light. Yeah, I know. That's the thing about expeditions is like, you know, you can really stress that one point to say, make sure you pack light, but then you'll forget about another one <laughs> yeah. or whatever. There's so many little bits of details. In uh, 2016, you went on to, you went to Nepal to Everest Base Camp. How was that one? Yeah, Everest Base Camp had been, that was on my bucket list for a long time. You know, I grew up knowing about Kilimanjaro. I kind of, you know, Kilimanjaro, Everest Base Camps, they were the kind of big mountains or so to speak that I kind of knew and I wanted to do. Everest Base Camp was possibly one of the most beautiful trips I've ever done. I loved Everest Base Camp because you were walking through villages, you were meeting people, you know, you were meeting mm. loads of different people. And it was just a really relaxed trip. 
although we were the first group that did. Do you remember the Chola Pass? Chola, oh, I do remember it well. Like. <laughs> yes. So we were the first group that did the Chola Pass. And by God, I remember it snowed so much. I remember going up the Chola Pass and thinking, oh gosh, I'm not going to make this now. Jesus, this is, this is going on. I'm not going to make it. And by the time I got to the other side, I was just so exhausted. And so was everybody in the team. We were all just so tired. But the kindness that everybody showed each other after that, that struggle of getting up the Chola Pass, I'll never forget it. You know, there was yeah. hands over each other. Are you doing okay? Are you all right? Do you need an extra pair of socks or anything like that? And do you know what? That, that is something that really stands out for me forever space camp. Yeah, it's lovely to see people come together. Like, you know, it's nothing like a bit of bad weather and snow and hardship to, <laughs> yeah. to pull a team together. That's like. exactly it. So you then went on and did Stuck Angry in Ladakh in 2017. It's a trip that I was telling you about for years before you went there. What, did it live up to all the expectations? Like? And more. And more. Yeah. I loved India. I loved everything about Ladakh. I loved everything about Ley. I just... Stock Hungry was possibly my favorite trip that I've ever done. Now, I've unfinished business with that mountain and I will go back. <laughs> but <laughs> the journey, the journey through Stock Hungry was amazing. Like, you know, there was, that was one trip that I really enjoyed because I made some really, really good friends. And, you know, we were all from such different backgrounds. And I learned quite a lot from each individual that was on that trip. Some people that I still talk to today. Again, Anith was the was the guide on that trip again. Actually, fun fact, I went on no. all my four trips with Anith. <laughs> no Actually, way. Actually, no, the last one I did, it was Reese was the last one because, yeah, Reese was the last one. I thought it was you and Lou together in, in Nepal. Oh, it, it was, was Anith, Lee, okay. was it? Oh my God, you're so in love with Anith. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, Anith. <laughs> I'm like having a love fest here. But uh, yeah, yeah no, right. Stock Angry was just amazing. The, the local guides in Stock Angry, wow. No question is too stupid. Nothing is ever too small. They will literally do everything for you. Anything for you. Yeah. And the food, the food alone, unbelievable. I go back for that. And it's a heaven if you're veggie. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute heaven. I know, yeah. It's so, it's always funny. Some places where we work, like Russia comes to mind when someone puts in like vegan or something kind of complicated and you're like, oh, that's going to be a lot of buckwheat. <laughs> yeah. But India is a great place to be vegetarian and vegan. The food is just unreal. Yeah, no, I love stock hungry, I must say. And uh, then finally you finish up at Machu Picchu. How was that experience? Oh, Machu Picchu was just so lovely. It was really lovely. You know, for a long time, I'd tried, I'd had this vision and my goal was always to do all these big mountains. Like I remember talking to you and telling you that I'd never want to do Machu Picchu because I thought it'd be too easy for me or something. And like pure ignorance out of me to be saying that. But when I did actually do Machu Picchu, it was just beautiful. It was the trek into Machu Picchu, the people, the food. I found it and I actually went on that trip with one of my best friends, Sarah. That was her first expedition. And, you know, it was it's a trip that will live in my memory. It's pretty up there with Stock Angry. And I kind of always think, how? why did I never want to do Machu Picchu because I just thought it wasn't hard enough for me but it was just, just the journey I've never laughed so much as I did on that trip with the group of people that we went on to so I actually you know what I'm just thinking there I'm like the theme of all the trips that I've done is the people that I've met yeah because they have they made the trips for me they really did you know the last group that I went to with Machu Picchu was the Nasus crowd out in Kerry 
My God, yeah. they were hilarious. I honestly could not laugh anymore. I just couldn't. And there was never, if anybody was struggling, again, the kindness that people have for each other when you're doing a trek or when you're doing an expedition, if anybody was struggling, we all rallied around. Everyone rallies around to make sure that you get the most out of your journey. And I just think it's, it's wonderful to see, to be in the presence of such like-minded people. Yeah, it's a re reoccurring theme on everyone I chat to in my own experiences as well. It's just the people you meet and the conversations and the bonds because you just get into that wild place and you just have so much time for people. Yeah. And they have some, you know, it's just, it's fantastic. Like, it's just such a nice experience. Yeah. So Babs, if you were chatting to someone now and they're thinking about doing one of these trips, like, you know, they're listening to you now in, in the deepest, darkest part of the pandemic and they're thinking about maybe hopefully getting out and doing an expedition later this year or into maybe early part of 2022, what would your top tip be for them? Just do it. Yeah. Just do it. What are you waiting for? Your future self will thank you after you've done it. Yeah, I think that's good. It's like, why would you not do it? You why know, would you, you not do it? If you have the time. Yeah. And you know, we're living in really uncertain times at the moment. If you feel like doing it, just get up and do it. Get a pair of boots, lace them up and start with whatever's in your backyard and work your way from there. Awesome. So Camira, I want to ask you, you decided to leave Earth's Edge in 2018. It's actually really interesting, Babs. I was saying to the lads in the office, like, when you originally said, look, I'm moving back to Clare, so you're going to hand in your notice. I was saying to you, look, why don't you work remotely? And um, I think you agree it never really worked for us because um, you were kind of out of the loop socially the, the, the one or two days you were up in the office. Yeah. And it's interesting now that we're all remote working, all the kind of crack and chat happens on Zoom. So it's completely different. Yeah. The working life has changed massively. Anyway, that's just a side note. What I wanted to ask you is tell the listeners what you're up to now. Yeah, so I left Earth's Edge, 2018 was it? Yeah, it was 2018. Yeah. And I went back to college, I did a master's in education, done that, and I'm working within the education sector now. So that's been great. I'm kind of working within Clare and Limerick is what I've been doing for the last two years. Wicked. So that's what I've been doing since I left. I might get you back in the office sometime virtually, like, you know, what you reckon? <laughs> yeah, listen, you never say never. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, under your breath, you're like, no, I don't want to work with you again, man. Let's take a break there for some quick fire questions. What was your first job? Call center. What song is always on your workout playlist? Beyonce, sorry. Nice. <laughs> what are you reading right now? Americana by Chimam Ngozi. If you were stranded on a mountain with one celebrity, who would it be? Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> See a pattern there? <laughs> yeah, big time. What's your favorite food to eat on a mountain? Oh, good question. Um, I actually bring tatoes with me, so I'd munch on tatoes all the time. <laughs> do you like 32 pack or what? Like No, I'd crush them up into Ziploc bags, like, you know, so I have enough stash for a day. As you know, I'm obsessed with tatoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, salt and vinegar tatoes. Actually, I do remember that, yeah. What's your favorite piece of kit? My favorite piece of kit, down jacket. What's your biggest pet peeve when traveling? Biggest pet peeve when traveling? Lateness. If money wasn't a factor, what would you do all day? Oh, wow. Um, explore the whole world. Very good answer. <laughs> Very salesy answer. That's what I like to hear. Go on more Earth's Edge trips. <laughs> yeah. Describe yourself in three words. Adventurous, kind, and spontaneous. Oh, that was quite difficult. <laughs> <laughs> 
So come here, Babs, many of our clients and the listeners, like without having met you, obviously they've heard your 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 lovely tones, but they'll have no idea that, that you're a proud black Irish woman. How is that like, you know, last year, obviously, with the Black Lives Matter movement, I know you and a lot of other black and brown people in Ireland and all over the world found their voice. Like, talk to me about that. I'd love to chat to you about it. Yeah, I agree that a lot, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement last year had, it had an impact, especially in Ireland. As we've talked earlier, you know, I grew up in Shannon. I found it quite difficult being black and living in a small town. I was always grouped into something. You know, there were quite a few racist incidents that my family would have come across that I would have come across in school. Like, you know, when you're in school, conformity is everything. You know, you want to be a part of the the crowd, but I stood out because of the color of my skin. So that made it quite difficult to navigate my school years. And I always felt like, you know, the token, as I said, as we've mentioned, I used to play quite a lot of team sports. I felt like the token black person Mm. on every team that I was in, you know, I never forged any deep or real friendships with anybody. So yeah, I found that quite difficult. You know, Ireland, I think we, we would consider ourselves one of the most friendly nations in the world. And like a lot of people from small towns like, you know, Ross Gray or Shannon, where we're from, like would think, oh, no, it's not like we're definitely not racist. But like, can you just give the listeners some examples of some of the stuff went on for you and your family when you were growing up? Like there were times where, you know, we'd literally have people ringing the house phone and, you know, they'd be N-word said, there would be a lot of go back to your own country and we don't want you here, that type of thing said. And that would, that, you know, the phone would would have to take it off the hook because it just kept ringing and kept ringing. Only recently enough, actually, I was in my own house, in my own family home and the doorbell rang. And as I opened the door, I could see some kids running around, no more than 10 years of age. And they had left bananas just outside our door. You know, so... Although I'm giving you examples of what happened when I was younger, it's still something that's very much happening now, 20 years later. Yeah. As a as a white person, a white Irish person as I am, like it's, you know, talking about racism and people get very uncomfortable with it, you know, and people get very apprehensive about saying the wrong thing to a black or a brown person. And I think that's something that we need to collectively grow a lot with, especially people who have this concept that... Um, you know, Ireland isn't a racist country. Like, I'm not trying to drum home the point that it is and make people feel bad or unpatriotic about where they're from. But like most places, you know, the the number of black and brown people was so so low. So the way I would try and get you to understand it is if you look at how as a community that we, we treated um, people in the traveling community because they're a different, again, a different race um, to us. And we are so prejudiced against them. I know like growing up in Ross Gray, like I had um, neighbors who were travelers, like as early as I can remember, like we just excluded them from everything, from our games and, you know, like we never let them play football with us. And, you know, I do feel bad about that now, but I don't think it's about that. It's just kind of acknowledging and saying, look, this happened. It, it wasn't right. And we need to move on from it and, and, and learn and try and spread that awareness about it. Um, you know, obviously racism isn't, isn't okay, but it's just about learning it and owning it and moving forward with it, you know? Yeah, I think you said something really interesting there about, you know, when you're acknowledging it, acknowledging that this thing happened, like we need to be very aware that these things are happening. 
because the thing is we can't dismantle something that we're not aware of. So we yeah. need to be aware that these things are happening and we need to actively like, you know, be anti-racist, be anti-Islamophobia, be anti-homophobic. You know, we need to be actively pursuing this for a lot of white people. And I remember talking to a lot during, um, let's say, the Black Lives Matter movement last year. You know, I had a lot of conversations with my own friends, you included. You know, we had some really, really good conversations where for the first time ever, we really talked about race. We really talked about how racism actually affected me. And some of the conversations we had were very uncomfortable. Big time. Yeah. But you know what? We need to learn to sitting with that uncomfortable feeling, listening to people's experiences. I'm not an expert on critical race or racism or anything like that, but I can teach from my own experience. I can teach you from what I have been through, what I do go through on a day-to-day basis. Because I think in Ireland, we seem to think that racism is very much about somebody walking around and saying the N-word or an example that I gave where bananas are left on my doorstep. But it's not. There is so much more to it. We need to look at the systematic way that racism is conducted as well. And we need to look at ourselves and kind of think of the unconscious bias that we might hold towards someone based on the color of their skin. You know, it, it's an unconscious thing almost. Like I'm not taking it, like not trying not to take responsibility from it, but like you just learn that, for example, using that example of the traveling community, like that we we don't play with them. No, no one, like you know, no one, an authority or in my in my life or my friends ever said that explicitly. We just learned it from the older kids and stuff like that. So it is something that we need to own and try and be better at. The other thing, like. We were actually having a laugh about this and it kind of, there is a funny element to it, although it's quite serious. Do you remember that time we were doing the, I was doing an info talk in the Great Outdoors in Dublin. Oh yes. And you <laughs> you were giving me a hand because we'd like, I think we had a hundred odd people signed up. Obviously they didn't all turn up, but we still have a big, 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 huge group. And um, you were kind of signing people in from the, the door and like some fella, like, you know, typical, stereotypical Irish old fella kind of came in and he was like, oh, they're doing, you, they flew you all the way over from Tanzania to, for, for the talk. Isn't that great? Like, and I guess like I wasn't there, but talking about it afterwards, like, you know, we and you, like we didn't correct that guy because we didn't want him to make him feel bad. You know, it's going to, those are the things that we need to change. I think like that we just kind of, we're not, you know, we don't have to worry about his feelings. We just say, listen, actually, you know, I'm, that's that's not actually the case. I'm, I'm, I'm Irish. Like, yeah. is that something that you struggle with or are you better at that now? Or what do you think? What's your feeling on it? Do you know what? I, I'm very conflicted on it because, and I remember at the time I was actually there with Elle from the office when we were signing him in and I remember laughing it off and she, she got quite quiet after, for a few minutes and she was like, that wasn't right. You know, she yeah. beat herself up a little bit afterwards, kind of going, I should have told him that wasn't okay. But because I'm so used to exactly what you said, that if I correct somebody on something that I do feel is racist, I generally, 99.9% of the time, being told that I'm making a big deal out of nothing. And it has yeah. nothing to do with my race. So I've learned to just let a lot of things go. Whereas, thinking back to the example that you've just used, had L actually said something that day to that guy, he most likely would have listened to her and apologized yeah. for the offense caused than he would have had I made the complaint. Yeah. I think it's a little bit like that. Um, and it's never happened to me personally, but like, you know, the, the one that people will be able to 
empathize a little bit more is especially the female listeners when you're walking across a bar and some fella slaps you in the arse and you turn around and say excuse me that's not inappropriate and he's like going like whoa chill out making you feel like you're some kind of aggressive person or something like that it's kind of exactly it's almost a bit gaslighty in a way like you know yeah and if a male had if a man actually calls him out on his behavior he's most likely going to listen yeah so that's when we're talking about racism and we're talking about being an ally and being actively anti-racist you know white people need to correct other white people when they do something that they see as being racist 100 percent We shouldn't shy away from the uncomfortable. I'm not a professional on critical race or racism or anything like that, but I can teach from my own experience. I don't mind if somebody was to ask me, what would you like me to call you? Do you want me to call you black? Do you want me to call you a person of color? What do you prefer to be called? Absolutely, yeah. I much prefer someone asking me the question than someone saying something and then for me to kind of go, I'm sorry, that's actually really offensive. And then creating something of a big deal. I've been there so many times, dude. We're like, I, I, I obviously know how to do it now. If, if I was describing you, I'd have no problem saying Barbara's black or whatever, you know. But it's it's funny because we we get so uh, as white people we get so uncomfortable and the awkwardness and like it's just it's just so so unnecessary, you know. Um, yeah. But people just need to ask, you know, like yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's not such a big deal. We need to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. You know, I'm pregnant at the moment. I'm due a little one soon. Congrats. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm just thinking like, you know, how do I teach my child if I'm not comfortable with exploring the uncomfortable? Yeah. I need to be able to explore the uncomfortable. I need to be able to talk about it for me to be able to learn and for me to be able to teach and pass on what I have learned. You know, I think we were talking about this one day and I was just saying, you know, last year with the Black Lives Matter movement, that whole thing where people were putting up a black square on social media, blacking out the media for the day. And that was such a performative gesture. Yeah. There was nothing that was going to change that. What we need to start doing is changing the people around us. You know, we need to change the people around us. If your granny, and I guess, I guess this, it's a very Irish way of saying, oh, sure, she meant no harm. But if your yeah, granny, yeah. who is, you know, 60, 70 says something that's really offensive we need to yeah. correct them we need to correct them as well we can't just keep going ah but sure look they meant no harm by that because somebody has been harmed by that it's going to offend somebody so we do need to correct it we have to have these hard conversations you know if we want to make um ireland a better and more inclusive place i was actually smiling there when you were saying that like i was just thinking i have an uncle like and I'm mostly vegetarian now, like, and Christmas, like, if you're telling him you're not eating meat, like, he just goes mental, like, he's like, what? It's bad for the environment, rubbish, you know, and the same <laughs> fella, like, you know, like, our, as another person in my life, like you, I remember he used this phrase, like, about um, foreign nationals, like, um, working and living in Ireland, like, you say, oh, the non-nationals now are, non like, no, 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 they have a nationality, like, you know, yeah. they're not non-nationals and that. And it's something that I had like a big conversation with a friend of mine last summer is about white privilege. And I think people really struggle with that a little bit because like if you take me, for example, like I'm a, a white Irish man and like I've started this business Earth's Edge and over the last 13, 14 years, it's built up and if I've worked my ass off and it's been a great success. And 
the reality is like if I were a woman, it would be harder to do what I've done. And if I was a black person or a black woman, even it would be harder again. And I think sometimes people really struggle with that because I think when you say that, sometimes white people feel and respect particularly men men are always acting the bollocks really aren't they but like they feel like you're taken away from their effort you're taken away from their experience and i think that's something for us to acknowledge like we were chatting earlier this week you were telling me about um a job you're applying for babs can you talk to me about that one tell us a little bit about that where you you kind of felt bias there against you yeah, I suppose, you know, I've been applying for jobs and I applied for a job with this particular company. The first time I applied for a job, which would have been in 2019, yeah, it would have been 2019, just at the very start of the pandemic. And I had applied for a teaching position and they got back to me and told me that, you know, they weren't looking for anybody that was working within adult education and they were looking for secondary school teachers. Now, people that I had studied with, had applied for the same position and they had, people had been called for interviews, you know, so I kind of just left it and I didn't think any more of it. Then the second time I applied for it was during the summer of 2019. Now, everybody knows me as Barbara and everybody knows me as Babs, but my actual first name is Paila Moyo. <laughs> so as I applied for that, as I applied for that job, I did put down Paila Moyo and Jara, you see. So that yeah. was the second time was the summer of 2019. I applied for a job. I got a rejection letter and I thought, okay, great. I'll just send out, um, I'll just send out an email just to see what the feedback was as to see how come I wasn't shortlisted for an interview. So I did, I got an email back telling me that I just didn't have the relevant experience and I didn't have the relevant qualifications. So with their job description, their own job description and all the documentation that they'd used for this job, I went back to them and I said, look, I do have the relevant experience. And I showed X, Y, and Z as to where the experience was. And I had the relevant qualification. And I know some people that I had studied with that actually hadn't even taught some of the subjects that they were advertising okay. for. And they had got interviews and they'd got through. So I sent, sent back another email with my reservations as to, I don't agree with the fact that you said I don't have the relevant experience and the relevant qualifications. And in it, I did mention that I felt discriminated against. And why I felt discriminated against was I think they looked at my name and because it's a non-Irish name, yeah, I believe that is the main reason why I didn't get an interview. This is not something new. You know, this is not something new to me. It's happened to me in the past before. And I've, I, you know, it's something that I've kind of grown to accept, but this was the first time I decided to challenge it. After a few weeks of them doing their investigations, they pretty much came back to me and told me that I didn't, I didn't have a case and if I'd like to take it further, then I should take it further. I have to admit, I was absolutely devastated after that because this is a rather big organization, like, you know, and if I want to work within education, I need to be within this organization. So you're saying it's it was an education rule. So you're talking about a, a state-run company or a semi-state, yeah? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of, you know, I weighed up the options of if I take it further, do I take it further and have to go through and relive all of this? All, you know, relive the, the fact that I feel like I've been discriminated against everything, all the emotions that come with it, the psychological impact that's going to come with it. Or do I just leave it and I try again? Yeah. And at the time, you know, we were in the middle of a pandemic. There was quite a lot going on for me. I just realized that it wasn't worth my mental health for me to go through it and go further with it. But this is not something that's new to me. This is not something that's new to anybody that doesn't have an, um, an non-Irish sounding name. If I had used my partner's name, 
if I'd actually put down, instead of Paida Moyanjara, should I have put down Barbara Sweeney, would I have got the job? Would I have got an interview? Totally. Chances are I probably would have got in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised at that with, uh, well, I'm actually not surprised, but it is, it's not good. That that's like a board of education or something similar to that. I don't know how, I know there's panels and all this kind of stuff, mm. and I'm not too sure the workings of it, but um, like going back to a point I made earlier, like, I think for as an individual, like, you know, I think it's important that rather than people getting apprehensive and closing up and knowing they made a mistake, I think I've potentially done that. I'm not too sure. I don't have the best of memory, but like I started the business at 24 and I hired someone at uh, for the first time, probably 27, 28. Like I'd never worked in a business before. So when I was hiring Lauren, who, you know, like I remember wanting to have an Irish sounding employee. So I can, I don't know how many people applied for her job, but I know I would have had an unconscious bias or possibly even slightly conscious that, you know, if I had seen an African or a, or a Polish name, maybe at the back of my mind, they would have been a little bit further down the, the, the pecking order. You know, it's not good. And it's, it's, it's something that, that I've definitely changed and we need to try and, and share that message with other people and hear your experiences and, and make those changes because it's so important, you know? Oh, absolutely. Like I said, it's, it's really like, this is a story that if I was sat here with so many black people, I can almost guarantee you nine out of 10 people would have experienced it. Yeah. You know, that way they just know and understand that they didn't get a job because of their name, because their name wasn't Irish sounding. I tend to want to ring the company first. It's almost as if I want to get this accent out. She kind of go, oh, look, listen to me. Yeah. You know. Lay on the Claire accent real thick, like, is this? Yeah, do you know what I mean? I'm kind of like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I know exactly I what you mean, yeah. Just yeah. before you look at my CV and you look at my name and judge me for that. You know, especially in education where, like, it's predominantly white. Like, you know, it's very rare you see a black teacher. And I've had students yeah. that have said it to me, like, you know, a student said to me before, it's like, Babs, I don't, I've never seen a teacher that looks like you. And mm. I said, what do you mean? You know, I was intrigued yeah. and they, you know, they said it out. I've never seen a black teacher. But then when yeah. you look at, you look at our schools, you look at our universities, they are so diverse. Like what is sitting in front of us is not matching what is, te what, what is teaching them. You know, because you can't yeah. know something you're not exposed to. And this is where we start to breed racism a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And like, li listen, I think like people have this um, idea that like places like Ireland are just going to become more and more liberal, like, you know, with um, repeal the eighth and the marriage referendum and stuff like that. But like it can go backwards as well. What is the state in the, in the US where they've reversed laws on, on um, women's rights and stuff like that? And I think the, the thing for me is to try and make people aware of this and also for them to try and empathize. Like, I, you know, like anyone kind of a bit, I'm 38 now, but a bit older than me, like would, would know about like, you know, during the troubles, like when it was difficult for Irish people in the UK. And that's what, you, you know, a more severe um, version of that is what you're experiencing on a, on, a, on a regular basis. And like, it's actually quite a small thing, but... I remember uh, around 2011, 2012, like we started doing a lot of work for Irish charities and I'd be meeting people, meeting like potential new clients in, in offices in Dublin and 
they'd be making small talk and you'd be like, oh, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from Ross Gray. And, you know, they'd be kind of the private school scene. And obviously there's a big private school in Ross Gray, the Cistercian College. And they'd say to me, oh, did you go to the college? And I'd be like, ah, no, I went to the tech. And like <laughs> automatically you're kind of like, shit, like, you know, I'm kind of out of my depth there, you know. So I can only imagine, Babs, like, you know, to have that feeling, but around your 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 your, your color of your skin and, and whatnot, it would be different yeah. ball game, you know. You know, it's interesting you're talking about that because I was just thinking about like certain things that people would say that they don't realize is quite offensive to people, you know, to black people. Like I've yeah. heard so many times, oh my gosh, you speak great English. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm kind of like, well, your English is pretty good, Babs. You know, you've only been speaking it for whatever you know 30 what odd I mean? years. In yeah, fairness. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. This for a while, so I'd want to be good at it, you know, or the one that that really gets me and actually has bred a lot of insecurities in me is, oh, you're very pretty for a black girl. Wow. You know, and I, you know, what does that mean? You would never yeah, say that, that to, a white, to a white person. You'd never say, oh, you're pretty for a white person. You know, or God, you're quite educated yeah. for a black person. But, you know, this is where it happens. As I was saying a while ago, like we need to be educating or even like a generation that is older than us we can't keep using this excuse of oh god they're from a different generation trust that they don't yeah you know times are changing they're exposed to a younger generation you know you don't want them to be imparting their views or those type of views onto the people that are coming up that are the future so we Absolutely, need yeah. we need to be correcting it as we see it, whatever it might be, anything that has an ism to it, I think we need to be correcting it. It's uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. God, I've tried to do it in my family a few times and my God, the the silence, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But you have to do it because how are yeah. people going to learn? And they will think twice. They will think twice the next time they try and say something offensive. I had Joe Keena, the Dr. Joe, who's, who, who you obviously know on... Um, on the podcast last week and um we were talking about you know um being gay in ireland and uh, on trips and what have you and he was saying like he even himself is homophobic just from the conditioning and stuff like that so i think like we all have prejudice you know like yeah i'm sure you know so it's just trying to bring awareness to them and 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 try and make those little changes and influence people around us rather than I don't think anyone is really trying to catch someone out for something they did in the past or anything like yeah. that. I just think it's kind of owning it. And, you know, as you say, like if you're unsure on how to address someone of um, with a different color skin than, than you, all you have to do is just ask, say, Babs, hey, what's the story? Do I call you black or, do, you know, what yeah. is, how do, how do, what are you comfortable with? Yeah. And then go from there. No, we definitely, we certainly need to acknowledge our own prejudice. And that's the thing is, how do we learn as people? How do we grow as people if we don't acknowledge our own mistakes, or our own flaws? And we need to mm. allow people to be able to make these mistakes. I'm very much for making mistakes. I love a good mistake. I think everybody should own their mistakes. You make a mistake, it's an opportunity to learn. You know, I've yeah. definitely made mistakes where it comes to when I'm talking about different communities, you know, the LGBTQ community. I've certainly made mistakes as I was doing that. But I'm so lucky with the people around me that, you know, it's a conversation that can be had and we can all yeah. learn. You know, I'm not automatically discredited because I've said the wrong thing. And this is where your circle, that's why when I say like, you know, we need to educate ourselves and our circle first before putting up a black square and saying, you know, blackout Tuesday or whatever the hell it was. We yeah. need to educate our own circle first. And hopefully inside that circle, they will move outside of that circle and we'll keep growing and keep growing. 
we're not going to change the world. We're really not going to change the world. And I've, I've had to tr- accept that. But I can change the people around me. I can change the people exactly. that I come in contact with. You know, I've had times where I'm in class and somebody said something really offensive and I would stop. I would stop the class and I will call them out on it straight away. Mm. Now, in me calling them out in front of everybody, it's not because I want to make a show of you. I'm calling you in front of everybody because for some people around them, they might not have realized that was offensive, but now they know. Yeah. If you tell one person and everybody else tells one person, we have the whole world covered. So like, do you know, this that's all it. it takes. Like, Absolutely. Hey, um, before I let you go, I was going to, I wanted to ask you, I know like your, your parents are um, from, from Zimbabwe and you were there as a kid, but how was it for you to be on Kili and uh, like be surrounded by lots and lots of black people and just oh. a couple of white people? That was a bit <laughs> mental, I'd say, was it? It was amazing. Do you know what? It was just <laughs> going back to the motherland, being immersed within African culture again. And it's not something that I would have, you know, in my house, yeah you know, I would be immersed within the African culture. Then I go outside and there's this Irish culture that I'm immersed in. And in the middle there is Babs, you know. So I have I yeah. have a bit of an issue with my identity because sometimes I'm yeah, I can imagine. pulling left, right, left and right. But um, with Killy, it was amazing. It was amazing to actually fully immerse myself within that culture. You know, I'm so used to being a minority yeah. that it was actually fantastic to be part of the majority. <laughs> <laughs> Deadly, yeah. You know, I was so used to being a minority. I just couldn't, you know, the porters were amazing. They saw me and, you know, they they treated me like a little sister instead of calling me sissy, you know, as, as if I was their sister. They really yeah. welcomed me into their fold. And, you know, I understand Swahili is quite um, similar to Shona. So I can I can understand some of the conversations that were being had. And, you know, I could hear them talking about something or something and I'd laugh about it. And they'd be like, oh, she gets it. You know, and I'm kind of like, I know, (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Deadly. (laughs) You know, so no, Killy has a really, really, um, it has a dear place in my heart. It really does. And it's it's somewhere that I can't wait to bring my little one on. He's definitely going to be scaling Killy at some stage. Yeah, me too. I love Killy. Like, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, that's something to look forward to. Like, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, sure. Look, you'll be back doing trips now in, in about 20 years. Like, you know, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, unless you'd like to change your policy. No, you can't bring your kid with you. Stop. We don't <laughs> want to be listening to children. Like, but uh, Aineth went on a, who's, who's, she's got a, a young boy. She went on a trip pretty quickly after after she had him. And same with Hannah, one of our doctors. She's got two small boys. And yeah, she went to Ladakh for, for 16 days. Apparently, when they, she came back, though, she was saying that uh, they were, really cranky and angry you know i think they were pissed off with her that oh. she they were happy to see her with her but pissed off with her that she'd left, she as left. Well, you know? so yeah. that's quite funny well look i hope when the world does open up and you know my little one is a couple of months old i'll start scaling i'll start with claire we'll start with claire first yeah and then hopefully <laughs> go back like i said i'd love you know i did some wonderful trips i would love to show him like stock angry i have to go back unfinished business with the mountain so i need to go back yeah no doubt you will babs that's absolutely awesome man i love that chat thank you so much for the time on that one no worries thank you so much for having me cool take it easy babs bye now this podcast was produced by earth's edge we're a small business based in ireland who organize big adventures all over the world for more information about us and the trips discussed on this podcast visit earths-edge.com or follow us on Instagram.
don't forget to sign up to our mailing list to be in the running to win one of our summit jackets. There's a link in the show notes. And while you're there, if you could subscribe and review the podcast, that'd be brilliant. I'm your host, James McManus. Thanks for listening and have a super week.